O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, and justice never prevails. I will stand at my watch post on the rampart to see what he will say to me. Then the Lord answered me and said, There is still a vision for the appointed time. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Rabbi Gunter Plaut says that Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. For weeks, you and I have dealt with Jeremiah's work. It covers 63 pages in my Bible. We'll have just this one Sunday with Habakkuk. We have only 56 verses of his work. It's a much, much briefer work. But because of Jeremiah, we know what Habakkuk was facing. Thousands of soldiers coming from Babylon modern-day Iraq. They reach the city of Jerusalem, surround it, lay siege to it. When the city is running out of food and water, they breach the walls. They strip the temple and the palace of all gold, silver, bronze, and burn them both to the ground. They bring in the royal family of the Jews. They kill all the king's sons so that he may see There are no heirs remaining. Then they gouge out the king's eyes and lead him blinded along with the best and brightest of the people of Judah to captivity in Babylon. We know the scene. And here we have Habakkuk's reaction to it. Verse 1. O Lord, how long will I cry and you do not answer? Strife, contention all around, justice never prevails. Dr. Fred Craddock taught here in Oklahoma at Phillips Theological Seminary when it was in Enid. We United Methodists saw what a treasure he was and offered him a distinguished endowed chair at our Candler School of Theology, Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. He accepted that appointment appointment served with great distinction until he decided to retire at 65. He and his wife moved out of the big city of Atlanta into a rural area near a little village up in the mountains of North Georgia. He agreed to help the local pastor there whenever he needed him to help with hospital calls. One day early, he said he had gone to the hospital to check on a woman, member of their little church, And he saw a woman down the hallway pulling on a doorknob. Pulling, pulling, couldn't get the door open. He said, I went down, I could hear her saying, he's going to die, he's going to die, he's going to die. She was trying to get in the chapel. I turned to one of the workers and asked, why can she not get into the chapel? Well, we had some teenagers who got in and messed it up. We had to clean it up, repaint part of it, and so we keep it locked now. 
he said, unlock the chapel. They unlocked the chapel, and he turned to the woman and said, I'm a pastor. Would you like for me to pray with you? She said, yes, please, and we walked into the chapel. As we walked, he said, I could tell. She was, had jumped out of the bed. Her husband, she told me, had just had a heart attack. She looked disheveled. I started to pray. I'd said only three or four sentences, he said, when I took a little breath, and she just jumped in. She didn't wait for me to say amen. She said, oh, Lord God, do not take my man. He's not ready. He never goes to church. He never reads your book. He never prays. He ain't ready. Please, don't take him. And what about me? I dropped out of school to marry him. I have no skills. How could I support me and my kids? Oh, and those kids, she said, they're wild as a buck even when their daddy's around. What would they be if you take him? You cannot take my man. Dr. Craddock said, she had got by the lapels with both hands. She was saying to him, I don't believe you're listening. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? He said the next morning, he went back to the hospital to check on this woman. She was standing outside her husband's room, hair combed, looked nice. I got close to her and she said, he's better. He's better. I think God heard one of our prayers. And I said, well, if he did, it was yours. My, he said to her, I don't believe I've ever heard anybody pray like you prayed yesterday. I loved it, he said. I loved it, and God understood. Have you ever been there that desperate? Number two, I will climb up on the ramparts. I will look as far as I can look. I will wait until he answers me. And then the Lord answered me and said, The vision is still coming. If it tarries, wait for it. God's purposes are not yet fully realized. Not in our city, not in anybody else's city, not in our state, not in anybody else's state, not in our country, not in anybody else's country. God's purposes not yet realized. Be patient. God is still in control. I've told you that some years, a few years ago now, I asked Gail if she'd be willing to take part of our vacation for us to see some of the concentration camps. She said she would. She knew that I'd been involved in Jewish-Christian dialogue for more than a quarter of a century that I'd read so many books written by survivors that I really felt I needed to go to some of those places. We've been to eight of them now. That first time we went to just three in Poland. I'd been told that the best preserved of them are in Poland, not Germany. Uh, the American Liberation Forces reached many of those in Germany and bulldozed a major part of some of the camps. They're still 
interesting material to see at all of them, but but much of those camps have been bulldozed, and they've built sort of little uh, plaques and things for you to realize how big it was at one time. But the ones in Poland were preserved. They were liberated by the Russians. The Russians were pursuing the German army, chasing them back out of their country. They got to the Vistula River, and they waited. They waited for the Allied forces coming from the west to bomb and beat up on the Germans, and then they came across the river. They found the camps. They didn't like Jews any more than the Nazis did, but they hated Nazis even more, so they were determined to preserve those camps. They didn't blow those anything. They sprayed those camps with something that smells to this day, sort of like creosote. They're just sitting there, just like they were in 1945. Rabbi Sherman told me about someone in New York City he thought might be able to help us. We contacted that person. He arranged for a guide to meet us in Warsaw. We flew to Warsaw. We'd been there before. Even so, he wanted to show us a little bit of his city. Fine. We spent that afternoon touring Warsaw with him. The next morning, he picked us up at our hotel. Gail said, you sit in the front. She's To me, she sat in the back. He was a smoker. You could tell. You could smell cigarette smoke on him. He didn't smoke in front of us. But he coughed on me. He coughed on me. And he drove us down to Madonic. And we got to Madonic. It's not a touristy place. It took three and a half, four hours to get there from Warsaw. And we spent five hours in Madonic. And we saw only one other couple. Just the guide and the two of us. We saw Madonic. He drove us after that night in Madonic on to Krakow. He said, I think you need a day off. We've got a hard, hard day tomorrow. Take a day off in Krakow. And so we sat in the plaza there. We had uh, something to eat. We listened to the little band that was playing. We walked around. We saw the beautiful cathedral. And the next morning, he took us to Auschwitz. We spent all morning at Auschwitz. We walked through the gate. Arbeit macht frei. Work makes free. At noontime, he said, you need to eat something. We said, we're not hungry. Not hungry after four hours at Auschwitz. Eat something, he said. We have to go on to Birkenau. And we got down a little bit of soup, got in his car, and he drove us to Birkenau. We spent all afternoon there. Birkenau is the one you saw in Schindler's List the one where the train goes right into the camp itself, stops on what's called the Judenrampe, where the Jews were unloaded, and an officer was pointing right and left, right and left. Right was instant gas and death, burning. Left, you might work a while. It wasn't going to make you free, but it might keep you alive a few more days. The next morning, he picked us up to drive us to the train station to take a train to Berlin. My throat was sore. I had his cold. I felt miserable, miserable. I'd been through all these camps, and now I was sick. We rode the train all the way to Berlin. We had been there once before when it was a divided city, east and west, part of it under the communist regime, of course, part of it free. What a new city it was when we were there. It was supposed to be 68 degrees. It was 95. 
You ever had a cold when it's 95 degrees? It's horrible. I thought I was going to die. I almost wanted to die. Really considered just dying in Berlin. <clears throat> in three days, it was 95 degrees. And finally, we got on a train and went south about an hour and a half to a little village called Wittenberg. We got off the train and walked and pulled our bags half mile into this little town. It's very small. 500 years ago, Martin Luther lived there. I wanted to see the church where Luther nailed the theses, 95 things he felt needed to be debated. I thought it was the village church right there in the plaza. No, it wasn't that church. It was the chapel of the prince's palace, which is right on the, on the western edge of town. And so we walked to the palace, and there was the chapel door where Martin Luther had the courage to drive these tacks in and say, we need to debate. There's so much wrong going on here, so much wrong. Gee, we'd spent days in concentration camps. Were we aware that there's much wrong in the world? And late that afternoon, we went to Evensong at the church where Martin Luther was 500 years ago, and we got to sing Ein Festeberg, A Mighty Fortress. You remember the second verse? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. If he tarries, wait for it. Number three, the Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silence before him. Thursday night, Gail and I, eight other members of our church, attended a special dinner honoring our Bishop Hayes in Oklahoma City. It was at the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. I'd never been to that building before on North Lincoln there. Uh, before the dinner started, Gail and I walked through the museum. Gee, we knew a lot of the names of these people on these beautiful plaques because I've been a, a sports uh, person all these years. Gail loves sports as well. So we really enjoyed reading about Jim Thorpe and all the wonderful things he was able to accomplish as an athlete. But they had everybody from Abe Lincoln's to Billy Sims and back again. You know, Jim Shoulders, a great rodeo star of years and years. It's, it's an interesting place. But we Oklahomans have others who are famous in other fields. You're familiar with the name Dr. Scott Mamaday? You know that name? Dr. Scott Mamaday is a Kiowa his father was Kiowa, his mother was Cherokee. He was born in the Kiowa Indian Hospital down in Lawton, Oklahoma, 1934. His family saw to it that he stayed in school, graduated college, master's, doctoral degree. 1969, he won a Pulitzer Prize for fiction, was asked to teach at a major university out in California. In our centennial year, Oklahoma named him our Poet Laureate, and President George W. Bush gave him the National Medal of the Arts at the White House. Dr. Scott Mamaday has written that when he was a little boy, 
His father woke him up one morning, shook him just a little and said, Get dressed. You've got an important day ahead of you. He said, I pulled my pants on, my shirt, my shoes. My father took me by the hand and led me down the street. It was still dark. He knocked on the door, and an older Indian woman came to the door. She said, Scott, it's great to see you. Come in. The father said, I'll see you later. He left. She said, I'm going to make you a Kiowa breakfast this morning, Scott, the kind we used to eat out on the plains. He said, boy, it smelled good. Tasted even better. But all the time she was cooking and all the time we were eating, she's talking. You know where the Kiowa started, Scott? In a hollow log in the Yellowstone River. That's where it all began for us. And then she told me about my people, how cold those winters could be up there in Wyoming and Montana where we had to hunt to stay alive. Till finally we had a chief that said, let's go south from here, and we started south. But there were other tribes hunting south who didn't want us to hunt on their land and we had battle after battle with tribes of other Indians. Finally got as far south as Kansas. Lived there a good long time. And then the white man came. Things got worse. They killed almost all our buffalo. They led us farther south into a place called Oklahoma. And finally rounded up our people in a place called Fort Sill put us on a reservation. Said she'd sing a little, first in Kiowa, then in English, tell me a little more of our story. She fixed lunch, the kind we ate on the plane, she said. It was wonderful. All afternoon, she told me about Kiowas, what we did, how hard it was, how we persevered. She fixed supper for me, smelled great, tasted even better. It got dark. My daddy came, knocked on the door. She said, he's ready to go. My father took me by the hand and led me home. But I was a Kiowa. From that day, there was no doubt I was a Kiowa. Are your kids Christian? Are your grandchildren Christian? Do they know God's story? Do they? If they're not here in God's house being taught, they won't know God's story. They won't know Jews' story and Christians' story. Number four. Chapter three. Habakkuk, a book I know you don't read often, the Jews had in their hearts. At Auschwitz, when they were taken through the gate, it said, Arbeit macht frei, work makes free. But they discovered soon enough it didn't make them free, it just kept them alive another day or two. Another day or two. If anyone got sick... Anyone appeared the least bit weak, he or she disappeared. They were taken down the road to Birkenau, which was the last built 
It was the most efficient death camp of them all. At night, after one had worked hard all day, and came dragging back into the into these horribly crowded rooms at Auschwitz with the black smoke of burned bodies wafting through the air when all lights went out little groups of Jewish men gathered in the barracks and Dr. Plout says they chanted softly together though the fig tree does not blossom there is no fruit on the vides no olives in the trees, no herds in the stall. My lips shall praise thee, O Lord, my God.